It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff, you know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's a day late because of what's going on with the schedule and everything. But still midweek with Manish Manish Mehta covering the New York Jets for the Daily News. Manish, let's start with the elephant in the room. Everybody upset about this Logan Ryan situation. Some people accusing you of making the story up. Other people have wondered why you came out and essentially said that the Jets felt like they were going to get Logan Ryan. I know that other reporters had talked about the story and Rich Semini said something more along the lines of there were talks going on, but nothing was close to getting done. And so I feel like there's at least some legitimate criticism here of the way that you phrased it because some people jump to conclusions and you know the way that these things go, especially on the internet, especially in the digital age. Maybe you gave Jets fans a little bit too much false hope on this one. I understand that you were reporting that the Jets felt good about it, but do you see why people might have been a little upset by the headline? No, I actually I don't. <laughs> in fact, uh, the, the idea of giving false hope, it's not my job to give the Jets fans hope, false hope, uh, no hope. That's not, you know, that's not in the job description. What I can tell you, Scott, is that uh, a week ago I said that the Jets believed that uh, Logan Ryan would uh, be on their team in 2020, uh, you know, essentially sign a one-year deal, same thing. And uh, as of now, uh, the indication that I have is that the Jets believe that uh, Logan Ryan will be on their team. Now, I, I cannot uh, you know, get into everyone's heads. Uh, when I say everyone, I mean both the Jets and Logan Ryan. It obviously takes two to tango. You can't get a deal unless uh, both sides want a deal done. But to my understanding, uh, last week, uh, and when I found out last week, uh, it was my understanding that the Jets had felt this way for you know, a little bit of time. Because if you remember, I want to say about a month ago, I reported that the Jets had had internal discussions about freeing up money uh, to sign Logan Ryan. So he had been clearly someone who they had been uh, very interested in for quite some time. And then last week, uh, I said that the Jets believed that uh, they would get Logan Ryan. And uh, my understanding as of now is the same, to, to be honest with you. That's, uh, you know, that's how it was explained to me uh, by people that I trust. And uh, again, I, I cannot really get into what Logan Ryan might be thinking. I can just go off of his most recent interview on the NFL Network, in which he said that it would make sense to, to play for the Jets, but he was still open for business. I think that's the phraseology that he used. Uh, and then a subsequent report came out that the Miami Dolphins were also interested in him. So I don't know what kind of path he's ultimately going to choose, but uh, I can reiterate that the Jets believe that uh, 
and Logan Ryan. I mean, whether that ultimately comes to fruition or not uh, is, you know, TBD, I suppose. But, uh, you know, my report was pretty clear. Uh, and the phrasing, in my mind, uh, was pretty clear because that's the information that I got, which is that the Jets believe that they will sign Logan Ryan. Uh, you know, I, I don't uh, make the deals <laughs> for Joe Douglas. I don't make the deals for Logan Ryan. Uh, I can just tell you, you know, from that perspective, you know, the team thought uh, or thinks uh, that they will get the player. And and that's where I have to leave it because that's the information that I have. Uh, you know, whether they ultimately uh, sign Logan Ryan or not uh, is really immaterial uh, as far as my story goes because I think my story is pretty clear is that the, the Jets were confident that they're going to get the player. And, uh, you know, that's accurate. And, uh I, I, again, I, I'm not in the, in the negotiating room, so I can't speak to what both sides are feeling. I can just tell you that the team believes that they're going to get the player. Miami jumping in on Logan Ryan doesn't seem right to me, considering that they already are so invested at cornerback. They signed Byron Jones in the offseason to a big contract. They had already extended Xavier Howard to a big contract, and they used the first-round pick on a cornerback. That, to me... Feels like an agent smokescreen, but I guess we'll see how this one plays out. Manish, last time we spoke, we had talked about how the Jets apparently were still in it for Jason Peters. They had called. There were a couple of other teams in the mix as well. But you also said that the Jets, as of that moment, hadn't gotten in on Larry Warford. Warford is still sitting out there, as is Peters. Any movement on either of those two? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I I don't know. is probably the best way that I can put it. I, I haven't gotten any information uh, differently than when we spoke a week ago about Peters and Warford. Uh, I know that uh, there's a, a segment of the Jet fan base that really wants Larry Warford, uh, and uh, you know perhaps he'd be an upgrade. Uh, I, I can't tell you definitively if there's been any movement on, on that side. I just know that uh, you know initially. After he was cut, uh, you know, the indication that I got was that uh, you know the Jets would probably just you know stand pat with what they have along the offensive line. Uh, there's probably a number of different reasons for that, but uh, you know I- I'm not aware of any change in, in that. Uh, you know, that's the best way I can put it. Manish, for the first time, Makai Becton and Cam Clark, the Jets' two offensive line selections in the 2020 NFL Draft, spoke to the media. And Becton said that he had two goals for the 2020 season, two goals that you would have known about if you had listened to my interview with Makai Becton a couple of weeks ago, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to it, go ahead and check it out in the archives. But he said those two goals on the show, and then he repeated them to you guys in this conference call. What did he have to say as far as those goals, and what else did he and Cam Clark have to say for themselves in general? Well, that's a a great plug and a great segue to to the question. So I applaud you for that, Scott. Uh, and you're right. If people had listened to your podcast, they would have already known that Makai Becton wants to, A, uh, be a starter uh, in 2020, and B, uh, wants to, the Jets to break their nine-year playoff drought, make the postseason uh, in 2020. I think it's you know, fairly obvious that barring injury, that he will absolutely accomplish that first goal of starting. The Jets did not draft him with the 11th pick to have any kind of redshirt season or learn from somebody 
uh, older. Uh, he will be the starter along the offensive line. I, I don't know definitively whether he'll be the starting right tackle or the starting left tackle, but he will be one of the starting five guys, uh, assuming that he remains healthy uh, whenever the Jets come back for any kind of you know training camp or abbreviated preseason. Uh, when week one rolls around in Buffalo, he's going to be out there. Uh, the second part is much more daunting and much more challenging for reasons that I'm sure you have discussed on all of your podcasts with a number of different hosts, uh, whether you know they'll be able to to make the postseason. But those are ambitious goals. I, you know what I, what I took away from the Mackay Becton call this week was when he was asked about you know, what it will be like protecting Sam Darnold. Uh, he took a, a, a matter-of-fact approach and uh, has a, a really matter-of-fact mindset, frankly, which is, uh, and no disrespect to Sam Darnold, but it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. He was not drafted 11th to be simply be Sam Darnold's uh, you know, bodyguard for the next decade because there, there might be times when Sam Darnold's not playing you know, due to injury uh, or, you know, or whatever. I mean, you hope that Sam Darnold becomes an Iron Man, but he has missed six games in the first two years of his career due to injury and illness. Uh, so it's not uh, Mekhi Becton's sole job to to be Darnold's uh, bodyguard. It's Mekhi Becton's job to protect whoever the quarterback is and to open up lanes for whoever the running back is. And he has said that he's had text exchanges with Darnold and Le'Veon Bell uh, at, you know, at some point in the you know, past month or so. And that's good. That you know, that that's great. But uh, you know, as he, I thought, astutely noted that his job is to protect the quarterback. You know, no, no, no matter who's back, who's who's out there. You know, that being said, I think he's going to enjoy protecting Sam Darnold, uh, and I'm sure that Sam Darnold will enjoy being protected by him. But uh, he has a multifaceted job, which is to protect uh, no matter who the quarterback is, and to to really help get this run game going. Uh, whether that's Le'Veon Bell, you know, Frank Gore. Uh, Michael P. Ryan, whoever it is in 2021 and beyond, because Bukai Becton probably is not going anywhere for a long time. And as we have discussed, uh, Le'Veon Bell is probably not going to be around beyond this year. You would assume Frank Gore, obviously, at the age of 37, wouldn't really be around after this year either. And who knows who's back there with Michael P. Ryan uh, next year. So there's going to be uh, you know different faces uh, over the next year or two at the running back position. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's this guy's job to, to make life easier for no matter who the quarterback is and for no matter who the running back is. Uh, so that was the biggest takeaway that, I, you know, that, that I saw and I heard in this Zoom conversation with reporters. Uh, I know that fans were talking about numbers and you and I, Scott, had discussed Jersey numbers. Now, he was number 73 at Louisville. Obviously, he cannot be number 73 with the New York Jets. Uh, that will forever belong to Joe Klecko. Uh, he was number 70 in high school. He does not want to revisit that. So he told Joe Douglas that he wants number 77. I would assume that uh, Makai Becton would be number 77 for the Jets. However, nothing's official. The Jets you know, still curiously have not given out uh, official jersey numbers for their rookies. So if you're looking to buy jerseys uh, through the NFL's site, NFL shop, I know that there's a lot of people that are because I've gotten emails <laughs> more than I anticipated about these jersey numbers, and uh, all I can tell you is that you know the Jets have not officially given them out. Uh, they certainly have the reasons. I, I don't quite fully understand them, but uh, you know 
when these jersey numbers become official, I would anticipate that Makai Becton would get his wish and he'd be number 77. So uh, those are the highlights from the Becton call. Cam Clark, uh, you know, raised some interesting points because he worked out with Makai Becton uh, at trainer Duke Manny Weathers place down in Dallas in the run-up to the draft, that pre-draft process, you know, a bunch of offensive linemen working out together. It just so happened that Cam Clark was also working out with Becton. So he got a, a sneak peek of this kid's work ethic and uh, his athleticism. Uh, he was very impressed. So, uh, you know, not that uh, the Jets weren't impressed. They obviously were. They wouldn't have drafted Becton. But, uh, you know, hearing it from uh, a teammate who has seen him up close and personal – uh, when nobody else on the Jets uh, roster has seen Beckton up close and personal was, uh, you know, a little bit interesting. Uh, so, though, you know, those are the takeaways from the two offensive linemen. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, for as good as I think Beckton will be, Cam Clark is an intriguing player because I think he can provide immediate depth, immediate uh, value in that area. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him being in the starting mix at some point down the road, uh, you know, maybe a couple of years down the road uh you know he's an extremely smart player and uh, i think he'll be a valuable piece to the puzzle whether it's a depth piece or potentially a starting piece uh, you know at some point down the road by the way manish that bit about him choosing number 77 and why he chose it another thing that he spoke about during his interview here on the podcast so again if you haven't had a chance to listen to it go ahead and do so one thing that he did say during the interview here is that he hadn't had a chance to speak to anybody on the team except for Cam Clark at that point in time. So I am glad that he has been texting with Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold looks to be in good spirits, by the way. He's on the beach in California throwing darts. Manish, maybe the Jets should move their training camp to that beach because I don't know if I've ever seen Sam Darnold look sharper. Yeah, I uh, would not object to that. Uh, (laughs) Hanging out on the beach... uh... I don't think you want to hold full practices on the beach. Uh, that could actually be dangerous, as we've seen in the past with some players. But, uh, yeah, look, you know, these are random throws during his workouts uh, out there with Josh Allen. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think – I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think that uh, uh, they'd be posting errant throws. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's a highlight reel. But it's good, it's good work. Uh, you know, Jordan Palmer's a respected – uh, quarterback uh, trainer for a lot of these guys, a lot of these young guys. So uh, there's no doubt that Sam Donald's getting a lot of uh, proper tutelage and staying as sharp as he can. But uh, there's really no substitute, frankly, for being out on the practice field in Florham Park, uh, being around your teammates, learning from your your coaches, uh, and uh, really getting a better feel for your new teammates, especially the guys up front. So there's no substitute for that, but I do believe that Darnold is getting some quality work, quality instruction from Jordan Palmer, and is benefiting a lot, frankly, from that whole process and even being around other quarterbacks like Josh Allen. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. 
They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Nobody knows exactly what training camp is going to look like this year, although I assume it's not going to be guys throwing balls on the beach. As you said, I'm sure that reporters wouldn't mind that so much going forward. But this year, still a lot of question marks. But regardless of what the question marks are, one thing that is always fascinating to fans is which undrafted free agents have a real chance to make the roster and which guys could become, say, the next Robbie Anderson, the next Snacks Harrison, guys like that. And so there are candidates on the Jets this year that have signed. A couple of them that seem to have a better chance than others just simply based on position they play and the financial commitments that the Jets made because each of these undrafted free agents gets the same money but not the same guaranteed money, which is really all that matters in the end. There's one particular player, and this is not a big surprise to anybody, and that's Bryce Huff, the edge rusher from Memphis. He's a guy that a lot of people thought could go between rounds four and seven, ended up going undrafted. So because of how thin the depth is at edge rusher and the fact that he showed some promise at Memphis, there's a decent chance that he's going to make the roster. And now we find out, Manish, that he actually got a far more significant financial commitment from the Jets than several of these other undrafted free agents. And the thing that's interesting here, and you can see all the figures in the Daily News where Manish published this, the amount of the guarantees ranges from Bryce Huff at $90,000 all the way down to the number nine guy on this list, whose guarantee is 650 bucks. And be honest with you, Manish, I don't even think I would try out for the Jets for 650 bucks. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, it's an interesting offseason uh, for undrafted free agents because I think this entire uh, 
process during this climate uh, really hurt these guys. Uh, you know, people were talking about you know missing pro days and how that would impact guys taken in round one. You know, day two. I actually think that uh, not having these private workouts and pro days hurts uh, the guys who were drafted in day three or not drafted at all more so than the guys that were drafted in those premium rounds and the top 100 picks. Uh, so there's, I don't want to say guesswork because that's not accurate. Uh, you know, teams put a lot of time and effort in scouting all of these players. So you really do have to rely on your scouts, but there is more uncertainty. That's probably the best way to put it. And, uh, you know, I think that the average fan probably doesn't know that the undrafted players, as you said, get the same deal. It's a three-year contract uh, for, for this particular class, three-year contract, two point, uh, $3 million essentially. Uh, it's not guaranteed. You become a restricted free agent if you stick around for those three years in your fourth year. But as you said, you know that three-year, $2.3 million deal, that doesn't really mean anything. What, what matters is how much money you're getting in signing bonus and how much of your guaranteed salary uh, in 2020 is, uh, or how much of your base salary, I should say, in 2020 is guaranteed. Uh, the NFL has a ceiling of about $123,000 in signing bonus money that you can give out. Now, you could sign five undrafted free agents. You could sign 15 undrafted free agents. Uh, that's up to you uh, as a club. But uh, the ceiling for signing bonus money is about $123,000. The Jets uh, only doled out about $74,000 in signing bonus money this year uh, to the nine players that they brought in after the draft. So that's about 60% of the max allowed uh, in signing bonus money. And you're right, uh, you know, looking at how much money the Jets gave to each individual player essentially reveals how they value each individual player. So now we can look at the nine guys and say, well, the Jets got a, a steal by, you know, bringing in, uh, let's say, if the, the Georgia wide receiver, Lawrence Cager. But if you look at the money that the Jets gave Cager, for example, they gave him $7,500 in signing bonus and $50,000 of his base salary is guaranteed. So their total commitment, guaranteed commitment to Cager is $57,500. Whereas when you look at Bryce Huff, Huff the, the Memphis outside linebacker, the signing bonus they gave him was 15000 The guaranteed base salary was 75000 So the total commitment to Bryce Huff was 90000 versus the 57000 to Cager, significantly more, you know, relatively speaking. And so that gives you a good idea that, hey, you know, they really think that this kid Huff can be on their team and, and contribute in some form or fashion. Now, he's an undrafted player for a reason, uh, you know, statistically speaking, I, you know, he's off the charts. And this is a guy who had 16 sacks, 34 and a half tackles for loss in the last two years, uh, really productive at Memphis. However, he is a little bit undersized, 6'1", about 255-ish. Uh, I think he could, you know, stand to use more moves uh, off the edge, but he's an explosive player, clearly uh, a player – uh, at a position that the Jets need. I don't have to tell Jets fans this. They, they, they need more help along the edge. So when you factor in that the Jets gave Huff more guaranteed money in signing bonus and guaranteed base salary than any of the other nine guys they brought in, that tells you, hey, you know, they really value this guy. And uh, there's another player who I thought was really interesting at an interesting position, 
Uh, it's Shaheen Carter from Alabama who played a, a kind of a nickel role for Nick Saban. Uh, he's more of a safety than he is a corner. He's built like a corner, so he could conceivably you know, help out in the slot, but he's probably better off uh, you know, as a safety. They gave him the second most guaranteed money uh, you know, among this group of nine undrafted free agents, and the guaranteed money they gave him was $72,000. The guaranteed money that they spent the most on offense was for uh, an offensive tackle at Washington, a guy, Jared Hilbers, who actually has an interesting story because he was a swing tackle before starting as the left tackle two years ago when Trey Adams, who was believed to one at one point be a first-round pick, got hurt. So he played an entire season at left tackle in 2018, and then last year he played essentially an entire season as a starting right tackle. So he's had experience uh, you know, on both sides, and he's a guy who has a high school basketball pedigree, so he's extremely athletic. They gave him the most money of anybody on offense, uh, $62,000 in guaranteed money. So I, I just think it's interesting when you, you look at the Jets and look at every team, frankly, uh, and break down the money that they gave these undrafted free agents. That gives you a nice window into what they think of these guys. And it's really more of a front office scouting perspective because I don't think – Frankly, you know, Adam Gase or Greg Williams is spending a lot of time looking at these guys. This is more of a, you know, a Joe Douglas production and the people that he's got in the personnel department and in, and essentially relying on those eyes and those evaluations to say, hey, you know, Adam Gase, hey, Greg Williams, these are players that we think can really help you. And it's reflected, frankly, in the amount of money that they gave him. But, I, you know, I, I did think it was interesting just as a – a big picture perspective that they only opted to spend 60% of the signing bonus money that they could have. They could have maxed it out and got more, more money. I don't know, frankly, right now, at least who else they were you know, in the mix for that they didn't get and that, you know, guys who signed elsewhere, but uh, you know, with the guys that they brought in Huff and Carter got the most money and Hilbert's got the most money among offensive players. It's going to be interesting to see where these guys are practicing, though, because as of now, we still don't know what's going on with New Jersey. Any update in terms of what the Jets' alternate plans could be if New Jersey doesn't ease restrictions to the point where they can do some form of training camp? You know, I would think that, you know, logically speaking, it would only make sense to, to move your training camp if you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, uh, and frankly, at this point, as you said, the Jets are beholden to what the state of New Jersey does. And when I looked into this about a week or so ago, the Jets had not seriously explored other possibilities, other you know areas outside of the state to potentially hold their training camp. Now, that was over a week ago. I would imagine that they've started looking. Uh, I, I'd imagine that they you know got inquiries from potential places that will be willing to you know, house their, their camp, uh, it only stands to reason, again, if they don't believe that this is going to change in Jersey anytime soon, uh, it obviously makes all the sense in the world for the Jets and the Giants. I know the Giants have said that they've started exploring other areas, you know, to, to look at other places. It's uh, it's the smart thing to do, right? I think it would really make no sense uh, for the Jets uh, to bury their, their head in the sand and say, we're just going to stick it out until Jersey tells us that we can, uh, you know, bring people in the building, which they can't do yet, and then secondly, actually bring healthy players and coaches in the building, 
uh, you know, ultimately the coaches are not going to be allowed into the building until every other team is permitted to bring their coaches in the building. So I don't know how long that's going to take, but I think, uh, you know, it makes all the sense in the world to explore, do your research and figure out potential areas outside of the state to have camp if you need to go that route. Manish, last order of business, I admit it's not Jets related, but I just want to get your thoughts on this because I know that you've been watching it and you've been tweeting about it quite a bit. The Last Dance, pretty damn good, huh? Yeah, look, I liked it a lot, and I've gotten some pushback from, from buddies of mine who called it nothing more than Michael Jordan propaganda. Uh, <laughs> I can't fully disagree with that. What I can say is that I am you know, plenty old enough to remember uh, Michael Jordan's career long before he even made the playoffs. I remember vividly him being drafted. I remember him going through a lot of difficulty from a team perspective, not even, you know, making the playoffs and then ultimately, uh, or not, you know, making headway in the playoffs and then ultimately finally getting past the Pistons and, and getting to the finals and, and then, you know, uh, essentially dominating for almost a decade, you know, save those two plus years outside of, outside of basketball when he was trying out, you know, his baseball chops. Uh, I liked it a lot. I've always been a Michael Jordan fan. Uh, I've never been a Bulls fan, uh, but uh, I've always respected Jordan. I've always believed that, uh, you know, from the 80s on, because I can't clearly remember the 70s. I mean, I watch highlights. I've read a lot about the 60s, 70s, you know, 50s even, but I vividly remember basketball, the NBA, from the 80s till present day. And uh, there is no better player, more dominant player that I have ever seen than Michael Jordan. With all due respect to LeBron James, who I absolutely love as a player, who I think is a top five player of all time, perhaps will go down as a top two or three player. But uh, I'm not just being nostalgic. I think that Michael Jordan is the... The, the best finisher, the best killer, the best winner. Uh, and, you know, as that documentary showed, Scott, maybe not for everybody, you know, but uh, I, I, you know, if I had to start a team, uh, I would take Michael Jordan first, you know, 10 times out of 10. I agree with you on that, although I'm really tired of the debate because it's pointless. They played in two different eras and they were two different types of players it's really more a matter of whether you like vanilla or chocolate ice cream, but I do agree on Jordan. I will also say that there are certainly elements of this that were Jordan-esque propaganda. There's no question about it, but I think especially for people that were around back then to be reminded of just how incredible it was to watch Michael Jordan because above all else, beyond how great he was, he was just phenomenal to watch. And that's one thing that I'll always say that he does have over LeBron James is that LeBron James is an all-time great player, certainly one of the greatest of all time. And you could make your case for him being number one of all time. But I think there's just no question that Michael Jordan was much more fun to watch. And I think that Michael Jordan was the most fun basketball player to watch of all time. And I'll also say this. People have no idea how huge Michael Jordan was globally back then, too, because if you look at Pepsi and Nike, these were brands that were completely vaulted because of Michael Jordan and, ironically, Michael Jackson at the time. Those two guys were the biggest stars in the entire world. You couldn't ask anybody anywhere in the world about Michael Jordan and not 
get an answer about Air Jordan or that Nike symbol, which came to symbolize him. So I think it was a really interesting cultural artifact, this documentary, even if it certainly is telling the story from the Jordan side. And I do understand the criticism of the people that say that Jerry Krause was slimed by this and certainly that he didn't have the opportunity to defend himself because he passed on. But without a doubt, worth watching if you haven't seen it yet. So check out The Last Dance. There's 10 parts of it. It'll occupy a few hours of your time, which during the quarantine might not be the worst thing in the world. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on, as always. Really appreciate it. For those that are curious what you're working on next, what do you got going on in the Daily News? I know you've got this story on the undrafted free agents, but what's coming down the pike? Yeah, I think I'm curious too as to what I'm going to be working <laughs> working on over the you know the next uh, you know several weeks. Uh, I, I do want to circle back one time, one last thing on Michael Jordan because there is a, a jet angle to this. Jamal Adams is a part of the Michael Jordan brand, uh, and Jamal knows Michael you know fairly well, you know as well as you know a twenty something you know can know Michael Jordan. But I've had many discussions with Jamal about Jordan and and clearly Jamal is too young to remember Jordan uh, so he his memories of Jordan as a player are strictly through the highlight reel but you know Jets fans want to get an idea of what Jamal's mindset is and, and look Jamal Adams I'm not saying Jamal Adams is Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan is in a league of his own clearly but uh I think that there are a lot of elements to how Michael Jordan approaches leadership approaches his you know kind of how he approached his day-to-day uh you know goal sheet work ethic his mindset i think there's a lot of that that jamal adams shares frankly and that this is just coming from conversations that i've had with jamal uh he has that type of you know killer mindset uh not necessarily for everyone now jamal is much more engaging i think than what michael jordan was to his teammates i can't definitively say that because i you know, wasn't covering uh, the Bulls when Jordan was playing for them, but just being around Jamal Adams for three years and seeing his interactions with teammates, uh, it's a you know slightly different approach. But I think that the mindset that he has, like that killer instinct and that singular focus and work ethic uh, every day, I think a lot of that, frankly, uh, is innate. Of course, you know, a lot of that comes from his father, who was a former NFL player. Of course. But he has learned a lot from Michael Jordan, uh, and he has told me that he has learned a lot from Michael Jordan. Uh, and it's not a, a situation where, where Jordan is you know, texting Jamal daily and, uh, and doing things like that, but they, they do have consistent dialogue. Jordan does give him advice, uh, sometimes unprompted advice uh, about different elements of being a professional athlete that I think resonate and that actually matter to Jamal. So, you know, I've always thought that was interesting and, and it's been a couple years uh, worth of discussions with Jamal about Jordan. So, uh, you know, I've always felt that, you know, there are some elements to Jamal Adams that are similar to Michael Jordan, just in terms of drive and passion uh, that, uh, you know, that are interesting. And I, you know, I think that Jets fans would find that interesting as well. 
Here's hoping that he shares something else in common with Michael Jordan when all is said and done. A whole bunch of championships. And let's hope that he does it as a Jet because that contract extension hasn't been signed yet. So, fingers crossed. Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter at MMetaNYDN. Read his work in the Daily News. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest, the New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.